Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hello from quarantine day number... Uh, they, they, they they run together now. I know. I don't know what day of the week it is. You know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I was just thinking about the last time we talked about this... Uh, and how much has changed since then? It feels like I know, an entirely that seems different so world. Long ago. Yeah, um, but I guess first maybe we should do a a little Lenten check-in because um, yeah, our penance got a lot harder this week. <laughs> I don't know why we're still doing Lent. At least our Lenten penances. Um, I it feels like we've, we're giving up a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> to remind our listeners, uh, the host of the Unorthodox podcast gave us our penance for this year, one of which is not using apps of convenience like Seamless or the Domino's Pizza app to order food and instead talk to people, which seemed like an easy thing until our only food options became takeout. Something that I've done is I've actually picked up the phone and called people and walked and Mm -hmm. picked it up, um, which, you know, well, being as socially distant as possible. Um, but I'm not sure how sustainable that's going to be, especially under if we get anywhere close to like shelter in place orders, like some people are under right now. So we'll see. Yeah. In other news, we're still not drinking anything because of Lent for now. <laughs> Though usually, usually we get a we get a St. Patrick's Day dispensation, but so we're recording on Wednesday, and yesterday was a weird St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely it was eerie. I walking by all the Irish pubs in Brooklyn and seeing yeah. nothing going on was eerie. But we have a great show this week, even under quarantine. Uh, Really special guest. Ashley, who are we talking to? We are talking to Dr. Amy Compton Phillips. She's the Chief Clinical Officer and Executive Vice President at Providence St. Joseph Health Center, which is where the first case of coronavirus in the United States was confirmed. So exactly who we want to be talking to right now. Yeah. And Dr. Compton Phillips has really been, you know, especially communicating this to a wider audience um, really since the beginning of this uh, pandemic in the United States. Um, and she has some really great things to say about, you know, why, why we even need to have some hope in, in the midst of all of this. Mm-hmm. So coming up soon. Yes. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? Well, so we're kind of doing, uh, I don't know, we were talking about the show and how to do it during this time, right? Like, how do you talk about any news story that's not at all related to coronavirus right now? Yeah. No, I know. We usually, you know, we have our routine of Monday looking through the Catholic news of the week um, and, you know, trying to pick a good mix of more serious stories, some Vatican news, uh, some more lighthearted stuff. And this week, it's just all coronavirus. I mean, understandably. Right. You know, it's not dissimilar, you know, feel like a little bit like ESPN trying to cover sports right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I think we've got, you know, at least right now, I think people are, and maybe this will change in a few days when people hear this and they'll be sick of hearing about it. But <laughs> I, I get the sense that people still want to process together because so much is changing all of the time. Yeah. Um, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll get some more escapist content uh, we can dive into. But um Right now, I guess we could sort of go go through some points that people brought up in the Facebook group too. Um, but we're going to start with Pope Francis and what's happening in Rome. 
Right. So on Sunday, Pope Francis visited two churches in Rome uh, to pray for the end of the pandemic. Um, so he went to the Basilica of St. Mary Major, uh, which has a an image of Mary and, and Jesus that has been used in the past <laughs> to pray against plagues. So Pope Francis made a stop there. Yeah, there, this very striking image of Pope Francis sort of walking down Via del Corso, um, which is the sort of main thoroughfare in Rome, and it's totally empty um, on his way to visit these two churches. Um, that's, I think, going to be an image that sticks out when we look back on this years later. But um, the Pope is still also um, ho- holding his morning masses that you can watch online and also keeping up with his Wednesday audience and Sunday Angelus uh, remotely. Yeah, and so he he's praying for, for the sick and, and health workers uh, and asking Catholics everywhere to join in that prayer. Uh, he also had a special prayer for, for families because, you know, a lot of people are are stuck in their house with their kids and that can be trying under any circumstance. So Pope Francis is encouraging us to, to use this time that we have um, in our homes with our loved ones to, to just uh, take concrete actions to, to show our love and concern for, for each other. If any of our listeners, kids are listening, I'm sure he's not talking about you being uh, (laughs) trying force on your parents. I'm sure that they're ecstatic to have you home. Um, but you know, Rome is normally something we pay a lot of attention to as Catholics. Um, and, uh, more so during this pandemic, because they, there's a good chance that they're, you know, 10 days ahead of where we are in the United States. So if you're looking for more about what, how Pope Francis is, uh, addressing this situation, check out inside the Vatican this week, which goes into depth on that. Right. What's our next topic, Ashley? So you had the great idea, Zach, of, of kind of getting a feel of the questions that um, America's listening and reading, reading audience has about the coronavirus and, and being Catholic amid the pandemic. Uh, so we thought we would just like go through a few of those questions, um, you know, first of which is, you know, how do you how do you have mass without public mass, or or what can you do to replace the mass? So a lot of dioceses, I, w- I think most of them across the United States at this point have canceled public celebrations of the mass. And you you were a, I I didn't go to mass this Sunday, so the obligation was to dispense in Brooklyn, but there were still a couple last masses that took place, and you were at one of them, right? Yeah, I was probably at one of the last masses in 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 Brooklyn and the New York area for, for the foreseeable future. Brooklyn has now canceled masses, but they didn't do that until Monday. Um, so I did, I was scheduled to, to read, um, at the 6 PM mass at St. Boniface. Um, so I went there on Sunday and it was, it was really, I don't know. I, I found myself getting very emotional and sad. Uh, it, the church was pretty empty, um, and we had a pretty stripped down bare bones service, uh, no music or anything. Um, and at the end of it, Father Anthony, the priest addressed the, the emotions that I think a lot of people were feeling about kind of losing this in-person community, um, and reaching out to people, uh, to, or encouraging people to, you know, sign up for the newsletter and that, and stay engaged even when we can't come to mass. So... Yeah, I'm guessing it had to be a super somber mood. I feel like that's a unique experience because most people, or at least myself, I didn't realize that the last time I was going to be at Mass was when it happened. 
And so I felt yeah. a lot, a little bit like the rug had been pulled out from under me. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not bitter. I think that's the right move, but I think a lot of people probably had one of those two experiences where they didn't know it was their last mass or they did. And it was this really weird mood in the church. Yeah, no, it definitely, it makes you, <laughs> it makes you realize how much you can take things for granted. Uh, this, a lot of, a lot of what we're losing, um, in this time, just like, you know, the, the time you spend at work with your colleagues, um, mm-hmm. and receiving the Eucharist. Like I had never, I don't think I'd ever felt as, as like hungry to have the Eucharist as I had, um, as I did on, on Sunday, realizing that it would be a while until I would do it again. I'm like, it's really started to hit me that it's, it could be months without mm-hmm. the sacraments. I know. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Like we will have our Friday chapel mass at the office and we'll be able to do it then. And I was like, oh, nope, nope. we're not going to work either. <laughs> no. And yeah. e- Easter getting canceled or right. at least the public liturgies. Christ is still risen, right? And that's the mm-hmm. flip side. But not being able to celebrate that with the with the church is, I, I'm deeply saddened by that. Yeah. And especially mindful of the people who are going through RCIA at this point, like mm-hmm. what is what does that look like now? Or confirmations or first communion? You know, maybe some of those kids are actually mm-hmm. quite relieved that this got canceled this year. <laughs> but especially, you know, the adults like really choosing some of this, like that's got to be. Hopefully, we figure out some kind of way to, you know, bring them into the church in a socially distant way, like the way that you know we're still ho- holding weddings and funerals with immediate family maybe there's something that can happen i hope so at least mm-hmm. yeah one thing that people uh, a lot of churches are uh streaming the masses that they do say so that people can can watch on tv or or online and i actually because i i assumed that the tr- the mass in brooklyn was going to be canceled i i was on the bus back from dc to new york and live streamed the mass that was uh happening at the national basilica shrine in Washington, D.C. And so that was a very uh, unique experience of of participating in the Mass remotely from a Greyhound bus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I have so far, re- like, not resisted out of any animosity, but, like, mm-hmm. watching Mass on TV or live stream has never really, like, appealed to me. Um, and mm-hmm. so I've never, uh, even now, I think it hadn't really set in that I'm not going to be able to attend Mass for a very long time. So I haven't really even like tried to stream any mass yet, but I, I think I'm going to have to, or at least find other ways of staying connected. Cause I'm really, I'm really bad at holding myself accountable <laughs> in my own prayer life. And so one of the things that the mass does is provide some like regular rhythm where I'm staying connected. And without that, I'm, I'm going to have to figure out some other way. Mm-hmm. What are some other ways that you've seen like that are creative that people are doing to stay to practice their faith. Yeah, well, one thing I'm personally uh, going through, I have a a small faith sharing group uh, through the parish that we we've, we've been meeting every every week um, throughout Lent, uh, and we have decided to turn that into a, a teleconference call. <laughs> so we're going to be doing faith sharing over the phone uh, tomorrow, I guess, on Thursday. Uh, so you know, a, like a lot of workplaces, some things can be done um, from the comfort of your own home, uh, thanks to uh, you know modern technology. Um, so I know I assume other parishes are are doing that sort of thing. Um, yeah, my men's group. Uh, we we had our first trial run this morning of a conference. How'd it go? I'm I'm kind of nervous because faith sharing ha- <laughs> is. <laughs> 
kind of stressful for me in, in normal circumstances. And I hate talking on the phone. So I'm, I'm kind of nervous about how this will go. You know, it, it, it works. The only, I mean, I think people are desperate for human interaction right now. So I, everyone's yeah. just appreciative for it. Um, but the one thing that's a little shaky and I don't recommend if you're on a conference call or a zoom or whatever is like group call and response prayer. Like if someone mm. is leading a hail Mary and the group is supposed to, it's like way more jumbled than you can possibly imagine. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I recommend I picking like one person to do a prayer at a time. Um, so that's my, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's my tech analysis, <laughs> not my spiritual analysis anyway. Um, but I've seen a lot of great things about, you know, people are journaling more. Um, a lot of people mm-hmm. are rediscovering things like the rosary. Um, and, uh, even just like talking to people in their own homes, uh, you know, maybe it's tough for, your family to talk about faith. You know, it's, I'm sort of in an apartment in Brooklyn where I even got to the point where I said to my roommate, like, can we do something here? Like just, you know, together. Uh, cause I'm finding it, I'm finding it tough. Um, so uh, hopefully people are pushed to kind of be out of their comfort zones a little bit and, and practice in new ways. Cause God's still, God's still there. Right. Yeah. Speaking of leads to another question. We, um, a listener posed, which is, how does the church continue to serve the poor when, um, the you know, we're being told to be socially distant? Um, and yeah, I've, I've struggled with this because, you know, as, as a young, healthy person, I, I feel like I, I want to help and I have the ability to help, but I'm not exactly sure the best way to do that. Yeah. Catholic charities that are, are working all over the country are in, in the best of situations right now, they're without volunteers, um, who've been asked to stay home because mostly a lot of volunteers are elderly people who are most susceptible to, mm-hmm. um, contracting this. And a lot of charitable programs are just on hold right now indefinitely. And it's troubling all the more so because people are going to need more and more services given the economic impact of what's going on. Right. Yeah. No, we're already seeing, um, people getting laid off. Uh, and so services like food banks, you know, like the demand is going to be unfortunately probably increasing in the coming weeks. Um, and yet there, you know, people might be afraid to even go, uh, and they'll be, you know, working with fewer, fewer volunteers. Um, I know my my parents volunteer at a at a food bank in Virginia, and um, they said even last week they were seeing um, less people coming, and they had to you know modify their um, usually they allow people to you know kind of like shop as if it was a grocery store, but now they're having to prepackage bags and hand them out to people. So I know that's one way people are are modifying service. I think one of the things that's going to come out of this is we're going to see. You know, Catholic uh, charitable organizations are are normally in cooperation with the secular government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the resources that they're providing. But we're gonna need we're gonna see a lot more coordination, I think, because sort of everyone everyone who wants to help is going to need to work together. Yeah, across the aisle, across denominations, across communities, and so hopefully, like for example, I know that our parish in Brooklyn is in talks with the city about whether or not we could be used as a food drop site and, or a food pickup site. Uh, hopefully churches make themselves available because that seems like one of the best yeah. things we can do right now. But I also think this gets to like so much of the personal frustration around the social distancing and the quarantining is like in times of crisis, like you, you want to do something or I want to do something. Right. And so mm-hmm. most of the frustration is you can't, you can't, you can't, 
right? You have to stay home. Yeah, no, you want to do something and you want to be with people, <laughs> which which we just can't do right now. Yeah, but I will say that we're all figuring this out together, right? I mean, we're, it feels like we're in triage mode in a lot of ways, spiritually, personally, socially. And as difficult as things are for a lot of people, um, Jesuitical is, we're, we're committed to being here for you, right? So we're, we've set up our, our home podcasting kits. Um, <laughs> Ashley and I figured out a way to be on Skype and record the podcast at the same time. Um, we're going to put out the, we're going to put out the show and we want to know what you guys want from the show. So please let us know, write us, write us emails, visit us on Facebook, um, tweet at us. Uh, do you want us to keep talking about this? Do you want some, some sidebar crazy topics that are going to be nice distractions? Uh, for when you're cooped up. Um, cause I also need a lot of recommendations for how to practice the faith in this time because I've thus far not really succeeded. I, I, I would say, um, so please join the community. We're here for you. Um, we're here for you and we're praying for you. We hope you pray for us and we are going to keep this conversation going, uh, between the podcast at the Facebook group. So yeah, I just want to echo Zach and say, let us know what, how you're praying how you're helping uh, to serve your community at this time. What you, what you're Netflix binging. <laughs> yes. For our last story, some non-coronavirus news, something really, really exciting and positive. So if you were looking for some good news in this time, we have it. <laughs> um, yesterday, the uh, sitting lieutenant governor of Washington State, uh, Cyrus Habib, you uh, may remember him from episode 63 of Jesuitical. Um, <laughs> he announced that he will not be seeking re-election uh, and is entering the Society of Jesus later this what? year. <laughs> um, that is amazing. It's a huge, I mean, I, I don't know. I think this is a huge story, obviously, but um, yeah. to see, you know, he was elected lieutenant governor in 2016. He was only 35. He's had sort of this like meteoric rise in politics. And I, uh, just a little backstory. Um, I was late to recording this podcast because I was talking to, um, Cyrus and his team, uh, <laughs> when he shared this with me, I was, he's, you know, we've been friendly since he came on the podcast. Um, and so when he told me he was doing it, I about fell out of my chair. <laughs> are you, I mean, are you the first person or the first media person he told? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. So he is, we, um, we have to, fr this is, the tense is weird. Uh, I will have written a story to, that came out yesterday <laughs> when you hear this listeners about, um, Cyrus's choice. You know, it was really moving to hear him say, just talk about America and Jesuitical um, and what that's meant in his discernment process. But also, this is just like, a, I think, such a sign of hope for the church and for the world and everything that's going on that he giving up this very prominent position of power in the world um, for this for this calling. Yeah, no, I mean, we whenever anyone asks me like, Oh, what's like your favorite interview you've done on Jesuitical? Like I think about Cyrus just because it was kind of like, it was a, it was a random thing. It was like, Oh, the Lieutenant governor of Washington state listens to the show. <laughs> like, let's talk to him. And then he ended up just being this amazing person. Um, and yeah, like he has this position of power. He's so accomplished. He's like, a Fulbright scholar, a Rhodes scholar, like every sort of scholar, um, and clearly like a, you know, rising star in, in democratic politics. And yeah, like you said, you know, <laughs> his, his God had other plans for him. Um, and so I'm just, I'm so happy for him. Uh, we'll be praying for him as he, as he goes through the process. Um, 
you know, it's a long one. You don't just <laughs> become a Jesuit overnight. <laughs> no, years, yeah, but. it's starting, start, sort of, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully he'll uh, come back on the show and tell us about it. Oh, yeah, so he's definitely going to come back on the show. We are not letting him out of that. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> go back, listen to episode 63, and then we're going to hear from Cyrus soon uh, right here on Jesuitical. Uh, Cyrus, congratulations. Uh, the church is better for your discernment and your vocation. Uh, and you have our prayers. Joining us from Washington State is Dr. Amy Compton-Phillips. She is the Chief Clinical Officer and Executive Vice President at Provident St. Joseph Health Center outside of Seattle, where the first case of coronavirus in the United States was confirmed. Welcome to Jesuitical, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, Can you just tell us about that day when uh, the first case was discovered? What was the the feeling at the hospital and what, what were your emotions? Well, we had been tracking coronavirus um, since its onset and announcement um, in China back at the the very beginning of the year. And so we were aware of it. We were watching from afar, as we always do with our infection preventionists. And I got a text on a Sunday afternoon saying, "Uh uh-oh, we have a case. Um, And so immediately knew exactly what we had to do because we had been drilling and preparing for a pandemic for years um, and immediately set things into action. Um, but it was definitely one of those heart stopping moments because even though you prepare for emergencies, um, you don't, they don't often come to fruition. And it was clear this one was coming to fruition. So we're recording this on Monday, the 16th. Um, but I'm wondering if you could tell us where we're at right now in the virus. Are we still in the early days? We are fortunately, um, in the, in the, I, I, I'll, I'll uh, to, to paraphrase, I'd say we're in the beginning of the middle phase. Um, so the early phase when the virus was, was located in China, um, we were very much hoping for containment. We were very much hoping that it wouldn't get out of China and that it would not spread broadly up to their population, of course. But once the virus started spreading, um, and once it was very clear that we had community transmission here in the U.S., person-to-person transmission here in the U.S. of people who had not been traveling, we knew that we were beyond the containment stage and we were into the mitigation stage. And I'd say we are early on the mitigation stage because now we have to, on a community-by-community basis, work very hard to slow the spread of this germ. I think one thing a lot of people are troubling with is how to how to judge the reaction. It can it can feel like maybe we're overreacting or maybe not doing enough. How how would you judge the response so far and how should people think about that? People may think we're overreacting. If we did not shut down the country the way we have right now, it would be a nightmare. It would be a major disaster. Um there is a beautiful illustration of, of what happens with a pandemic when nobody is immune to a germ, when it gets into a, a, a new environment where it would infect, and predictions are somewhere around 30 to 40% of the population. And if we let it go at epidemic growth, 
it would double, 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 right? And so at 2, 4, 8, 16, that doesn't sound like much. But if it goes 20,000, 40,000, 80,000, 160,000, 320,000 every two to three days, you could imagine having the entire country sick all at the same time. And of the people who get sick, 20% of those would need a hospital. What if 20% of the American public needed a hospital all at the same time? We don't all fit in the hospital system. And and if around uh, 4%, 4 to 5% of those people needed an ICU all at the same time, we would have people dying in the streets because there was simply not hospital access or ICU access. And so that is the, the doomsday scenario we were looking at if we did not do the social distancing rules that we have in place right now. And that's why streets are empty and nobody can can uh, find basic necessities at the grocery store at the moment because people know that that pandemic level epidemic spread was the alternative that we were looking at. I'm wondering if you could speak to what the role of maybe Catholic hospitals in particular is during a pandemic or a situation like this. Is it anything different than what everyone else is doing? Something I think that's foundational to the Catholic hospital mission is that we care for all, especially the poor and vulnerable. And and many of our facilities um, actually were started out of pandemics of the past. Um, Here at Providence St. Joseph, we started, the Sisters of Providence were started out of the cholera epidemic um, back in Montreal in the Mm mid-1800s early 1800s. And the Sisters of St. Joseph really started their healthcare ministries um, in the Spanish flu epidemic in 1918. So this is something that that has been foundational to the mission of Catholic hospitals. And in today's world, something that's really critical is we're trying to solve what is a public health emergency with a private healthcare system. And the reason that's so critical is because we have vast swaths on the on the west coast of people who are housing insecure or are food insecure and as we try to try to think about what does it take to be socially distanced and what does it take to be isolated if you have if you don't have a stable house and and we're telling you to go home and stay in your room and have people bring you food if you don't have a home and you don't have food how are you going to do that and so part of what we're doing within catholic healthcare is not only saying how do we take care of people that come into the hospitals. But let's look upstream a little bit. How do we go into our communities and make sure that we have shelter space, we have capacity for for seniors who are living alone to get food deliveries to them so that they can they can actually ride out this this frightening portion of the pandemic that we're in the middle of. What can um maybe young and healthy people um, who've been told to, you know, practice social distancing do to help these more vulnerable populations without putting them at further risk? Young and healthy people should know that their risk is dramatically lower for getting a bad version of COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. The most common presentation in otherwise young and healthy people is is just to have a bad flu. Um, On some of them, even get it and they're completely asymptomatic. They can pass it on to others, but they might not have symptoms themselves. So really for young and healthy people, the major risk is for them getting the germ and inadvertently passing it on to others. And if they do that, if they kept going out to bars and into schools, um, the risk is that we would continue the transmission unabated and continue the the uh, steep part of that epidemic spread. I'm wondering, this is 
such an isolating disease for the people who contract it. Is there anything that like you've seen in healthcare workers and how they accompany people and what seems from my perspective to be like a very lonely disease? You have so hit the nail on the head. It is incredibly isolating. Um, and even our caregivers themselves, you know, they go, they go into rooms where people are on isolation and they look like astronauts, you know, they're covered from head to toe in gear that, that makes them seem more robotic than like a person. And so our caregivers themselves have been incredibly, um, uh, compassionate in the care of people under isolation, but it's still, a, a socially distancing disease, not just the way we we help prevent spread, but but just in and of itself, if you're if you're being cared for people with no face because it's covered, um, it it's disturbing and people are lonely. And so um, what we've done is distributed uh, tablets, an iPad type tablets, for people to be able to continue to FaceTime, to link with loved ones, because we're also not allowing loved ones in <laughs> to visit with our lack of personal protective equipment. We, we've really put right. limits on who can do what and moving through our facilities. So um, we are taking advantage of tools of the 21st century um, and ensuring that we can at least allow digital connections, even if the person-to-person ones are strained. A lot of people are afraid right now, I think. Um, what would you say to either calm those fears or at least direct that fear in a productive way? My belief is that because science has advanced so dramatically since the last really major pandemic um, in 1918, that we have the tools and we have the capacity and we have the ability to slow spread and to minimize the damage that this germ can do. That we have, uh, we can stay home. We can stay connected to others through technology. We do have the ability to get food and, and uh, supplies to be able to live easily in our, in our own homes, um, physically separated, but, but uh, intellectually and emotionally connected to others in this day and age. And so I would say that while the fear of, of something that's small and unseen is palpable, that, that we don't have to be conquered by our fear, we can control our own surroundings and we can control our own destiny and we can leverage what we know to make sure that we are prepared and not panicked. Yeah. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We we know you're busy. We do have one final question that we ask all of our guests. Okay. If you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, who would it be and why? That is such a hard question. <laughs> and the reason why it's a hard question, you know, my head is completely in COVID right now. Um, and 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 I, I really should be picking up and, and looking around um, um, and, and thinking much more broadly. Um, the team of people that are working tirelessly, you know, the, the caregivers that we have at the moment um, in this infection are running into the fray. They're running into the fire. They are putting themselves at risk and they know that taking care of, of people in great need. And, and so I almost feel like the, the, the team of, of tireless epidemiologists, um, and, and direct frontline caregivers that, that put themselves out there, um, are, I, I'd, I'd like to canonize the entire lot of them because boy, do they deserve that. Amen. That is a great answer. 
Uh, thank you so much for all that you're doing too and for your vocation and in, in responding to all of this. I know a lot of people are going to feel a lot of comfort from you being on so many media outlets. So thank you. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now it's time for some housekeeping. Uh, As we said at the top of the show, uh, we are also processing a lot at this at this time um and we're committed to to producing the show each week um to be here for each other uh and for the listening community um so you know we're gonna be here for you as as long as this lasts yeah and all of a sudden you know there are a lot of people right now who are probably looking for some type of virtual uh spiritual community um we like we have always liked to think that this is uh, a place like that this podcast this community so if you know someone who's looking for this this kind of thing please let them know about it right now especially now yeah and and if jesuitical um has been a, a helpful spiritual resource for you please consider becoming a patron of the show uh we love making the show uh we we can't do it without your support um so just something to consider if you want to if you want to support jesuitical Financially, you can go to patreon.com slash jesuitical. Um, and if you do so, you get you get some perks too. And as you're trying to keep up with all of the news and you're looking for maybe some spiritual reflections, some analysis, America has got a lot of that in addition to the news coverage. We've got spiritual resources, um, short takes. America's got a lot of that in addition to the news coverage. So you can check all of that out at americamag.org slash coronavirus. All right, now it's time for Constellations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? I've got a desolation. Uh, So I talked a little bit about uh, the pilgrimage that I just finished up last week on the show, and it's been sort of a real rough, like people talk about retreat highs all the time. Um, I definitely had a big retreat pilgrimage high coming out uh, back from the Holy land. Um, but I don't know, coming back to the situation here at home has just been very destabilizing, very distracting. Um, I haven't felt, even though I'm at home, I've never felt more distracted, I feel like. And so I don't know if I'm doubting, but certainly not paying attention to all of the graces that were manifested. It just like a week ago in my life or two weeks ago in my life. Um, they feel really far away right now. And I've not done a great job of trying to recover them or keep up any, of any type of momentum in any kind of way. I don't know. Momentum's a weird way to talk about spirituality, but it's mm-hmm. sort of what it feels like. And so I feel stuck in a rut and distracted. Uh, and so that is my yeah. desolation this week. No, that's so hard. Like you were, <laughs> yeah, two weeks ago you were, you know, not only going to mass every day, mm-hmm. but doing so in the places where Jesus walked. <laughs> Um, and having been to the Holy Land, it is just, yeah. And I remember, you know, coming back from the Holy Land, you know, it, 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 in those circumstances, I did feel like I was still unpacking for like weeks and remembering different things and reading scripture in a new way because of what I had seen. Um, so to go from that to isolation is, is really rough. And meanwhile, I haven't picked up, I'm, you know, it's my own fault. I haven't picked up my journal. I haven't tried to reread mm. the things that I wrote then. I haven't, I haven't thought about any of the i haven't read any scripture yet so like it's my own it's my own fault for sure but nonetheless still sucks a lot 
Yeah. Well, first first step in road to recovery is admitting the problem. So. <laughs> so true. And I need to destroy this phone. Anyway, uh, Ashley, what do you have this week? I do have a consolation. Um, even amid um, pandemic and isolation, there is still good things happening. Uh, and in my life, that was the birth of my first niece. Um, my sister Jackie uh, had her daughter, Ellis Rose McKee, last Wednesday, and I was down in in Virginia for the birth. And I met, like, I just love this baby so much already. Um, and it's funny, I mentioned being a part of this uh, parish faith sharing group, and part of that is reading some spiritual reflections. And two weeks ago, we read this passage from Julian of Norwich, which in which she kind of, she talks about Jesus, the motherhood of Jesus, which I had never really um, heard that metaphor before. You know, we have, we have Mary, so like she's got the motherhood thing down, but thinking about Jesus's love as the love of a mother, um, I just found really striking. Uh, And then going from that to, to, seeing with my, seeing and being with my sister as she became a mother um and me becoming an aunt which is the closest <laughs> i can get right now to having the love of a, of a mother um there was there was a lot of consolation in that and just um and seeing the way that my family just like surrounded Jackie and her husband Justin and this new baby with such love um and knowing that that she would grow up with that constant love around her was just really really beautiful. Um, and I miss her already. I was, I was on babysitting duty so my sister could sleep over the weekend. Uh, so I got a lot of quality time and, you know, depending on how long (laughs) this quarantine lasts, I might, I might decide to work from, from DC for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Don't see why not. Yeah. It's, it's a great sign of hope that, you know, beautiful things like that are still, still happening right now. Um, and you're right. It's so obvious how loved she is. And she is lucky to have you as an aunt. (laughs) Yep. All right. Shall I get us out of here? Please, for now. (laughs) We'll be back. (laughs) All right. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundro. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.